0: You don't control the meaning of your work. You put whatever you're going to put into it. What people bring to it is where it touches them. Where art touches other people is really where the
1: interesting conversations are. Hi, I'm Matt McKee, and this is Cherry Bomb the Podcast, a series of conversations with people about food, art, and sustainability. Today, I'm speaking in the studio with sculptor Donna Dodson. This episode is sponsored by Shroom Cloud, a part of my Sweet Blast series of photos. I created the series with the mission to start conversations in the room about the bigger topics of food, art, and sustainability. This podcast is the companion piece where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. You can browse the images in the whole collection and more at theartofmattmckee.com. Please share this episode to your Facebook, Twitter, and all your social media so your friends can listen and join in the conversation. Donna, thank you very much for coming in.
0: Thank you, Matt. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: I wanted to talk to you about the Great Seagull Cinderella controversy, but first I think we need to talk a little bit about your artwork and who you are to, to kind of establish things. First of all, what medium do you work in?
0: Primarily, I work in wood. So I tend to find logs and carve animal-headed female figures in them. And that has expanded to include larger scale like Seagull Cinderella, that were carved in styrofoam and then covered in stucco, cement. And so this is a material for the outdoors, whereas wood, it's always going to rot, and Mm -hmm. so it's not a great outdoor material. Styrofoam, you can scale up. You're not dealing with the weight or the expense of something like bronze or stone, but it can live outside.
1: So you're a sculptor. Whatever the material you work with, whatever is going to be appropriate to what you're trying to achieve.
0: And I've also worked smaller. I've also worked with 3D scanning where a number of my wood sculptures were scanned and then printed at like a six-inch scale. And then with those prints, I could make wax copies. So I could make bronze or glass. Oh, neat. So.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. To see that in glass with the transparency and the refraction of the light, that would be awesome. That's a really, really great material. Now, one of the things that certainly occurred to me when I was looking at your work, first of all, it's a combination of an animal and a female figure, but they always seem to have backstory to them. Can you describe a little bit about the process of creating, for lack of a better term, I would almost call them totems?
0: Totems or goddess figures. You know, hmm. totems a tricky word in the sense that I'm not you know, a Native American or an indigenous woman, but definitely they have a feeling of sacredness or spirituality to them, even though they are essentially commercial objects at the same time that they have. Maybe a feeling of story and myth. Certainly Egyptian art is a huge source of inspiration for me and for my work. Yeah, Um,
1: looking at your pieces took me back to my freshman year in college of art history and looking at some of the poses that I saw in your sculptures. Uh, it was very Egyptian feeling,
0: mm-hmm. and certainly things like children's stories, Little Red Riding Hood. In children's books, we imagine a lot of talking animals and mm-hmm. animal-headed people. And so, my works, I'm told, are often whimsical. They're lighthearted, and I mm-hmm. think they have that feeling as
1: well as maybe a more serious element. How would you describe what you do as an artist? When I wrote down this question, I was thinking in one direction, but I'm almost thinking about the process now. For me, it's always concept first, and then it's whatever I need to do to execute the final piece. So do you start with a concept first? I have a feeling because of what you're telling me today that there's a lot of homework involved before these pieces become realized.
0: Yeah, it's certainly in the last few years, research has been more of a thing for my work I'm currently a visiting scholar at Brandeis, so as an artist, I'm doing research and as part of my practice, which it's always been part of my practice, maybe articulating the research has been a little bit more front and center in the Mm. sense that it's expanded my audience to include certainly academics and educators and students. So I'm speaking to in some ways, slightly different audience, even though my work is still being presented in commercial galleries.
1: They may be more inclined to ask why.
0: Sure. I used to just kind of make my work if the log had a certain shape or I was interested in an animal or was really interested in retelling certain myths like Little Red Riding Hood or Cinderella or The Little Match Girl. Like, I was interested in retelling myths from a different point of view. I mean, that's certainly... Theme And my latest work is retelling the story of the Amazons. Mm. So thinking about Amazons in the sense that you often see them on Greek and Roman vases. And there's a lot of debate about whether or not they're actually real. Are they like a centaur? Are they just this mythological thing? Or were they really real? And there's more and more dialogue around the fact that there's been ancient gravesites found in Ukraine or the steppes. These women were actually real. You know, archaeology used to be thought that if you found a skeleton and weapons, that was a male. And that was always kind of an assumption. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe we could consider the idea that women hunted, that these were like tools to hunt animals or food. But even a further leap that's been kind of justified by looking at some of these archaeological remains is that the women were warriors. They were fighting. They were like fighting alongside the men That idea then makes you say, well, why didn't the Greek and Romans consider these women real? Why are we calling them mythological? What about them was so tantalizing or so extraordinary to the Greek and Romans? So I'm kind of working in that area of looking at research, looking at history, looking at archaeology, which might seem a strange source of inspiration for contemporary art. Who were these women? There's a famous quote from the classic text, The Amazons were considered more like men because of their courage than women because of their sex. So it says women can't be courageous. Mm. Can we be both things? Yeah. These are the sort of things that I've been toying with.
1: I was going to make an assumption about the fact that the viewer changes the story. So from our patriarchal society, looking back on the fact that there may have been women warriors, we'd look at them as myths because our society didn't want to believe it, that they could have been real. As more digging has happened, it's turning out that they were real. I remember when women were allowed to join the army mm-hmm. and in a combat position, that was a major step for us. It's huge. From my perspective, I've known plenty of women who scared me that I wouldn't want to get in a fight with. You know, they've got the power, the same power that we got. Let them go. Yeah, them they wanted they the higher paying
0: combat jobs. Yeah. But who wants to think of like their daughter being killed? You know? Well, or... Who wants to think about their son yeah. being killed? Too. Right. So, right. Right. It raises a lot of questions about equality and gender assumptions. Yeah, who would want to think of their son being killed?
1: Yeah. When I was reading through your website, I came across your artist statement. And you said, My artwork celebrates the mystical relationship between human beings and the animal kingdom because there are no icons of women in the church I grew up in. My vision is to create them. Through hybrid female animal forms that I sculpt in wood, I flesh out sensuality, sexuality, and soul with a well-portioned figurative vocabulary. There's a lot to unpack in those three lines from the beginning of your statement. I think we've kind of covered a little bit about the mystical relationships. Can you talk about... What is well-proportioned figurative vocabulary?
0: Well-proportioned figurative vocabulary. Well, if you put an animal head on a human, it has to kind of work. (laughs) Most animals don't have necks, for example. The head goes right into the body. Okay. And so a shark doesn't have shoulder. You know, there's a lot of things that it's a mashup. It's like a creative leap. I'm asking viewers to take a creative leap with me as we imagine these figures and In a way, if you're making a painting or a sculpture, you can make things that don't exist in the real world. And so that well-proportioned figurative vocabulary is that it's somewhat realistic proportions of women.
1: The last time we spoke, I started doing a little bit more homework on the seagull Cinderella. And one of the things that struck me before I got further into the story, or even as I got further into the story, was that she was a real character. A personality there was personality to her but it it wasn't like a human being was there i don't want to call it a cartoon character because i don't want to belittle it but at the same time it was sort of a cartoon caricature of this amalgam as if it had walked out of a cartoon on tv and said hey i'm here Mm -hmm. is that is that a fair statement
0: yeah it was interpreted from a smaller wood sculpture okay but that took on a life of its own having this large scale Virgin, especially as a as a work of public art. Whereas like the small one, I exhibited a number of times, someone bought it, that's it, right? Yeah. Like whereas the public one, public art's a whole different animal.
1: Well, let's travel into that rabbit hole. Why don't you tell the story of Seagull Cinderella and the public art controversy around it?
0: Seagull Cinderella was you know, an interpretation of a smaller wood sculpture. And mm-hmm. I originally created it for a public art project in Brooklyn. And so I was looking at, at that point, pictures of the sculpture, because I think I had actually sold the sculpture, but I was just thinking, oh, it's on the waterfront. This would be an interesting public art. Cinderella could be a point of connection for many people, but mine doesn't look like Cinderella from Disney. So this could be (laughs) interesting, seagull. And thinking like, if Cinderella was an animal, what would they be? And... A seagull is a common bird, right? It's okay. not a glamorous like bald eagle or something like that. <laughs> it's not, there's nothing glamorous about a seagull. And you know, like people are always complaining about seagulls on the beach and they're scavengers and everything. So, usually these are temporary. So they go in, it came out, got it back. I had a gallery in Provincetown who wanted it outside mm-hmm. her gallery and she had represented me and exhibited my work so i put it outside her gallery
1: those who may not have actually seen the work itself from my point of view she felt like almost a matronly certainly not as you said a disney character unless it was the fairy godmother
0: she's a big girl i mean she's over eight feet tall so oh my this gosh. is this is larger than life yes. and she is a full figure it's very, yeah matronly or grandmotherly almost yeah um, yes and even the wood one had much skinnier proportions mm. to some extent. Okay. It was just a, literally like a 12-inch piece of wood. It was a very small sculpture. Okay. And so I got it back from P-Town, and I got another invitation to exhibit it out in Michigan. And I said, oh, if it's Cinderella, it really should have a full-length skirt. Okay. Cinderella has the big ball gown and yeah. everything. I took the daisy idea and dropped it, like, all the way to the ground, and I did these huge daisies all the way around yeah, well. it. I mean, it almost, it looked like folk art. It looked like Ukrainian egg art. I mean, it looked like a quilt. Even though it was still neon, it was really bright colored. Yeah. So I took it out, brought it back. But in the meantime, I moved to Maynard. So when I got it back from Michigan, I put it in my front yard in Maynard. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of used it as a landmark. You know, I didn't really... <laughs> You know, people generally liked it. Take a this, left
1: at the Seagull Cinderella and the shop will be right there.
0: Yeah, that's it. Everyone was like, oh, I live two houses down from Seagull Cinderella. And, and so then I had another opportunity to exhibit it down in New Bedford. So I tweaked the colors a little bit because the neon colors I kept using kept fading. They weren't really great neon colors, especially orange and Pink tend to be really fugitive outdoor. And so I started doing more research on like outdoor paints and I got pink, yellow, and green. Nice house paint. (laughs) And so I painted it yet again and loaned it out again. Like after a week of it being there, (laughs) the story is that this guy drove by with his kids and his kids said, look dad, it's a duck with boobs. And he thought that the sculpture made his children think about booths. Not that they might have seen any anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. Real women it, or anything like that.
1: Fifty like percent of our population. <laughs> uh yeah, okay.
0: And so he started a petition to take it down. Which is ironic because it was a six month loan. It was a temporary public project that was gonna come down. And so I got a call from the mayor's office who put it up and they said, Don't worry, we'll handle it. We're backing you, we put it up. And so it kind of just took off there was a protest and the media picked it up. And the media just had a heyday with it. He hated it because I was from Boston. He hated it because it was a seagull. What What does a seagull have to do with the waterfront?
1: I'm sorry, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we Has all know, he been to the waterfront? Yeah, I don't know. Good okay. question. We all know seagulls don't have boobs. It's like, you got me there. I mean, I can't argue okay. that one. Yeah. All right.
1: But but it's not like you could confuse this with like a herring gull that's, you know, <laughs> hanging out stealing your sandwich. Right. Okay. From what I read, he was very upset. Very upset. He was upset.
0: very upset. And I said, oh, well, let's have a community dialogue. Also exhibiting in another gallery down in New Bedford. I said, well, let's have a community dialogue. You can come in and we'll, whoever you want. We'll have the press. We'll have the mayor. We'll talk about whatever, your taste in art, what should we have? Like, let's open it up. Like, Mm. public art belongs to everyone. And he said, unless you're going to take it down, I have nothing to say. I was like, wow. And I was so sad that this young guy was so grumpy. I mean, he's in his 30s. And I was like, how can you be so incredibly grumpy? (laughs) (laughs) As a young man. Yeah,
1: well, I I often say, though, that that you, you can't really judge a person until you really know their story, because who knows what the backstory is that led up to this. However, to impose his will that vehemently on a public project and refuse to defend it, his stance in a dialogue, well, these days it seems kind of the norm, unfortunately, but Mm. how did you feel about it when it was going down?
0: You know, as an artist, you have all kind of doubts. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
0: so of course it pressed all my buttons, you know, like yeah. it's awful. I'm a horrible artist. Oh my oh, God. Wow. You know. Oh, wow. But I was like, kind of just put it out there. I just reshared it on social media. I kept wanting to have more of a conversation and a mm-hmm. dialogue. The response to it from the ground, I mean it was controversial before the guy started a petition. It was controversial on Facebook. There were like 50, 100 shares, 1,000 shares of people like, what is this? Who put it there? Oh, my God. And good and bad, like just all this stuff about that corners tends to be a corner of panhandling. So there was all this stuff about like, well, it's better than the panhandlers. And, you know, like (laughs) give her some money. And just like all this stuff from the community. If that's turning my boyfriend's head, just all this stuff about kind of sexualizing it and digesting it shock and awe thing of it. I'd had it in New York and Michigan and P-Town, my front yard in Maynard. Yeah. I'd had it in many different places. Many
1: different types of communities. Exactly. Like as well. yeah.
0: My husband had it on his lawn in New Hampshire and somebody took a picture of it and put it as their profile picture <laughs> and said, someone tell me what is the story of this sculpture? My husband's roommate at the time said, do you know that there's this guy in New Hampshire trying to figure out who you are and what the sculpture is? Oh, wow. And we became friends. I mean, he just loved it. And so, <laughs> you know, I've had that kind of interaction yeah. and reaction. But in New Bedford, it was like a whole nother level. And it had to do with a lot of things. A lot of the comments were like, why didn't she make a whale? Which I did make a whale. And it was also on the waterfront. And it was like no one had ever looked at the whale sculpture. <laughs> just like oh well, woe th- is me no one th- likes the whale and they were like why didn't you put a male anatomy on the whale you know and oh just my gosh <laughs> exactly.
1: What did the whale have boo?
0: No no it was a male it was Moby it was, Dick. It was, it was oh okay it was kind of about <laughs> how oh, <God. laughs> melville had anthropomorphized this whale into almost a human or almost into a sentient being that was out to get him right it was yeah. a- but anyways there was a whale it had been there for five years <laughs> no one ever saw the whale and then i made seagull cinderella and they're like we're the whaling town then people would be like well we could be more than the whaling town yeah. like it was this kind of huge uproar would that interested me Because in all fairness, yeah, I'm an outsider. Sometimes outsiders can do things that people in the community can't. Mm -hmm. But the artist got really upset about someone petitioning to take it down. Mm -hmm. We could have all kinds of art. Like someone made it, you know, like kind of defending my feelings. I didn't care so much about my feelings. I was way more interested in kind of this dialogue. Yeah, You always want people to talk about your work. Very rarely do people look at it in great depth and come at it from all angles like that was oddly super gratifying the good and the bad most people are like they're your friends are like it looks great and then you never hear anything (laughs) other than that because it's in public and you're not standing next to it Mm -hmm. when people drive by and most people don't tell you what they think because you never have a chance to gather yeah feedback other than your friends
1: who say like it looks, it great. looks great yes yeah <laughs> thanks mom I'll put it up on the fridge yeah <laughs> exactly. I, I know that feeling if he hadn't driven by and his kids commented on a duck with boobs do you think it would have eventually stirred up this kind of controversy
0: the media kind of had a firestorm with it I mean the media had a heyday with it well, a, I, a non- I saw on con- your site there's yeah. a
1: list of 20 or 30 different links, and I'm sure there's more out there, it was amazing to me as a marketer and publicist. I look at that and go, you did something right. <laughs> um, that's awesome. But it was just amazing to see how much it blew up.
0: It did, and it, it started kind of like the Boston hating man, the boob <laughs> hating man, once the duck ruffles feather. Like, the media yeah. just had to hate it. It was like a football. So just kept tossing to it, it around. Yeah, yeah that was... You know, it got onto the Daily Beast, you know. At the time that all the media hit, I was up fishing with my in-laws in Alaska, and I'm trying to take all these phone calls in these remote places <laughs> and FaceTime video interviews, oh, wow. and, like, yeah. it was very unreal. There was a petition, then there was, like, an anti-petition to take the boobs off the Venus de Milo, and then there was a petition to make the boobs bigger and add, like, a big rear end to the sculpture. <laughs> saw
1: that headline <laughs>
0: And I never knew who that was. Just recently, someone told me who it was. The guy who did it told me, admitted that he was the one. I couldn't keep track of all of it because, yeah. like, every day there was more media and there was more response. At some point, the artist got really upset about one person – trying to just take it down because artists felt like gee could have been my sculpture that he really didn't like Mm -hmm. so the artists started to make these stickers of seagull cinderella so they would just like hand draw her with different colors or different skirt Mm -hmm. or like tattoos or flag or red white and blue (laughs) or stars and it just became this viral thing and they put them all over new bedford So they were just like, don't take her down. We really love her. And what about the people who love her? Like you're one person and you want to take her away. But there's a lot of people that really love her. I think that was part of like wanting to have a dialogue. I'm okay with hearing what you think about my sculpture. If you don't like it, it's not for you. Tell me whatever you want to tell me. But I think we also need to have a conversation where people like it and talk about what it does for them. Makes mm-hmm. them smile. Their kids laugh at it. They had a great conversation. It just didn't feel like it would be right to have one person say, just take it away from everyone. I and, agree. And yeah. I never said that. You know, I never came out a hard line either way. I was just in it. Like yeah. I didn't really sort this all out to later. But so the artist started that and then Maynard started. With, well, New Bedford, if you can't handle it, just send it back. We miss her. <laughs> and it became the tale of two cities. Oh my gosh. Maynard did organize a proclamation, there's October whatever it is it's seagull cinderella day in maynard (laughs) the board of selectmen all signed it we we did a parade we had a police detail when she came back because she was going to come back regardless she came back she was paraded into town new bedford before that did a whole fundraiser because again the artists were kind of sick of people picking on cinderella and not feeling like there was a voice of community support for the sculpture some people felt like it was just very parochial that we can't have a sculpture with boobs or you know the guy kept tending to harp on the fact that it had boobs it's like what's wrong with boobs and so we did a huge fundraiser in new bedford where artists made all this Seagull cinderella inspired work with like photographs and painted sneakers and one did like a mock Sports Illustrated cover with Seagull Cinderella like on the cover, making headlines oh and cutting boards and woods and jewelry, beautiful paintings. It was wow. like unbelievable what it meant to other people. Like, yeah. I didn't really own the meaning of the sculpture, and you don't as an artist. Yeah. With any of your sculptures, you don't own the meaning. Yeah. And so that all happened. We donated to a breast cancer agency on the South Shore. Again, when she was paraded back to Maynard, Maynard had the same idea. There was a whole other art exhibit with artists doing sweaters and scarves and (laughs) photographs and, you know, lithographs, just like everything. And so, what does it mean for a woman to men to not just objectify you or your sculpture, but your breast? I think there was just a lot of ways that it hit people very personally and brought out a kind of action. And I didn't lead all that or direct any of it. Artists really felt attacked broadly, you know, kind of for me. Like, I didn't play a victim. I was just like, wow, this is so weird. It was really gratifying to have all those things That kind of support,
1: to have the community come together for a cause. I mean, the fact that you raised money, the group raised money for breast cancer is awesome.
0: That wasn't just like glorifying my ego or, you know what I mean? It was kind (laughs) of like public art really is a community conversation. Because somebody raised money for it, and somebody wrote a grant. Those are public funds. Public art's very, very different than commercial art in a private gallery. Well,
1: aside from the original complainant, Mm -hmm. there was a dialogue that was formed. I'm sure there was some really in-depth conversations about what is art, what kind of message should we allow in public spaces, amongst different age groups, whatever. Have you talked to this gentleman?
0: I tried and tried. He's just kind of hostile. I mean, I wound up feeling bad for him because forever, if you Google his name, guess what comes up? Oh, my
1: gosh. The first thing that I'm thinking about, you were talking about jewelry, you were talking Mm -hmm. about sweaters, sneakers, and all kinds of other Mm -hmm. pieces out there. So everywhere he goes in (laughs) New Bedford, he's reminded, (laughs) he's smacked in the face that he opened his mouth. Maybe he was having a bad day or maybe this is something he feels really strongly about.
0: They started a petition, I mean, in a city of 90,000 people, I think it got a few hundred signatures, you know, so it okay. wasn't ever like, oh, wow, like 10,000 people really wanted to come down. Then it would have been a very different story, yeah. right? It's like, oh, a couple hundred people aren't that happy with it. That's fair, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. not everyone has the same taste. Like, no, I might not like every art I see, yeah. you know, yeah. in public.
1: A mutual friend of ours reached out to me when I had let her know we were going to be talking, And she said, I'm wondering about the difference between the reaction to the sculpture having breasts versus the reaction to her recent sculptures of women warriors who also have breasts. Are you seeing some back and forth with that as well? Creating sculptures of Amazon's very powerful women in history. Admittedly, you told me it's a different audience. You told me it's an audience of more intellectuals and scholars. Are you getting any kind of pushback on those pieces?
0: No, I haven't so far. I mean, I've thought of doing them larger than life. I mean, I think at some point they beg to be a public art project, or at least larger (laughs) than life, because think of public art in a sense of like the horse and rider. They just beg to be, you know, some point coming Definitely, But yeah, I haven't done that one yet.
1: (laughs) Ooh, I want to see that. She goes on to say, I'm certainly interested in the intensity of the response to Seagull Cinderella that resulted in the need to remove her from the exhibit in New Bedford. I wonder if Donna has experience with other artists having to move or remove pieces from a public venue.
0: There was a big controversy at the Whitney Biennial a few years ago. Dana Schutz did a painting based on the historic photograph of Emmett Till, a young African-American man, that had been really brutally beaten and assaulted, mm. dragged out of his house and killed. His mom decided to have an open casket because she wanted the world to see what they'd done to her boy. Oh, wow. This was like in the middle of the civil rights. This was really kind of the whole point of the civil rights is to kind of expose the violence towards African-Americans in this country. Her story was that she had a son who was coming of age and she, was identifying with the mother, the, her pain, you know, the pain of being a mother and thinking about the vulnerability of her children. Mm-hmm. And but Dana shoots is a white woman and very privileged, very successful artist. She tends to kinda do provocative stuff in her art. She's taken on like the subject of Michael Jackson and kind of <laughs> disfigured him. And her work is very disfiguring. It's hmm. not realistic looking. Okay. And so there was kind of a level of abstraction in her work, but some of the black community felt like it was very, like appropriation. You're almost trying to profit off of black pain,
1: the pain oh, wow. of the black community. Interesting and so perception of it, wow.
0: The controversy was that one woman called for the removal of the painting from the Whitney Biennial and the destruction of it. That sparked lots of dialogue. Why did the curators allow it? There were some activists who stood in front of it and said, let's talk about black pain let's talk about the pain of the black community there was also another painting in the whitney biennial by a black artist that was also about police violence against african-americans and so like that painting never got talked about anyways there was like this huge thing but really the first call was like let's take it out and destroy it wow what is she gonna do is she gonna sell it for Her paintings literally probably sell for a couple hundred thousand dollars. She's going to make a fortune off of ripping off black people. That's an old story, right? And so it causes huge backlash and uproar. Yeah. That hit a nerve. In a way, like, how could you not know that was going to hit a nerve as the artist? Hmm. Could you really be that naive? I mean, I guess so came or, from a genuine place but what were you kind of thinking or
1: was it that manipulative
0: there's a lot of dialogue there right like yeah. that raises enormous amount of really interesting conversations and dialogue around contemporary art it was even before George Floyd though like yeah. so if you think like wow that was incredibly timely we're talking as a nation around police violence it sparked a whole year of protests and movements and calls for different kind of policies and legislative act. I mean, that sort of comes to mind just because it's fresh. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Dana shoots. She would probably never talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't ask her what that was like. I mean, it played out in public. So again, you really lose control yeah. of your own story. That's challenging too.
1: I think that may be the thing that silences a lot of people mm. from creating or showing their work because that controversy can be something that can snowball like i was saying with the gentleman who started the whole thing with seagull cinderella does he regret opening his mouth what he thought was going to be a fairly simple way of kind of railroading his vision across now has him in the crosshairs
0: right i was never really interested in demonizing him or trying to punish him he did that all <laughs> on I have to say. One of you the know, big things that I think we need I mean, to
1: always kind of keep in mind, and certainly with my two boys growing up, one of the things we said to them is, you can do whatever you want to do. Just remember there are consequences. Mm. And put the consequences first. Mm. Think it through. Mm. Apply some risk management to mm. this. Mm-hmm. And understand that you want to create something that you feel really strongly about. Fine. Mm-hmm. You're going to get mm-hmm. backlash.
0: Right, and maybe in that case, Dana Schutz could offer the dialogue, right? Like, let's have a dialogue about art. Is it really legitimate for, let's say, white artists to take on, take inspiration from, take influence from black issues? Like, where's the line? Like, Mm. one of my friends does all kinds of research around different types of humanitarian crises all over the world. Can I talk about Afghan women in my work? that's a really valid question. When are you appropriating? When are you being influenced by or inspired by?
1: (laughs) But it's funny you were saying that and I was sitting down here thinking when we first sat down before we turned the microphones on I said so I feel like I'm walking into a dangerous situation as a white cis male talking about feminist issues and boobs on a seagull. You know, and how
0: do we have those difficult conversations? Yeah. But is the answer to just be shut down? Like, you can't talk about that. You're a man. Like, you Absolute, can't talk about feminism. Absolutely not. To invalidate yeah. the dialogue is to never make progress, in my opinion.
1: I agree. Because over and over again on this show, the thing that I keep coming back to is if I don't understand somebody else's perspective, if I can't have that dialogue to learn about their perspective, then... I can't grow as a person. I can't help them. And I certainly can't help myself. And I'm just setting myself up for bad publicity at the least, if not the worst.
0: Right. I think that's how we all blunder through and make mistakes, say the wrong thing. You know, mm-hmm. again, kind of this idea of always policing language even. You got to let people use the words they're going to use to get their point across. Like there's something behind their words that is emotional or a point or question, a point of ignorance, a point Mm -hmm. of curiosity. Like, let's go there. Yes. Let's not let the words prevent us from going to a point of connection or confusion together. That, to me, is where we need to be heading.
1: I think that's also the point of art.
0: Right. Things that, (laughs) beyond language, you don't need to be able to speak English or Spanish or any language to read art. And again, like you don't, you don't control the meaning of your work. You put whatever you're gonna put into it. What people bring to it is where it touches them. Oh, this reminds me of a childhood memory. Mm-hmm. Oh, this reminds me of something I saw when I was traveling, or this is something I saw in a book. Where art touches other people is really where the interesting conversations are.
1: Normally at this point, I ask my guests some simple wrap-up questions. But if you are willing, But I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you've gone with Seagull Cinderella. But if you're willing, I'd like to ask Seagull Cinderella a couple questions. This is asking Seagull Cinderella. What do you wish you knew when you started? Hmm.
0: That I could come to represent so many different things for so many different people. Good and bad.
1: How would you define an ideal day?
0: Um, That it's sunny and (laughs) there's seagulls flying overhead. (laughs) (laughs) And there's little girls running up to give me a hug around my skirt.
1: (laughs) Ooh, that's nice. What would you like your legacy to be?
0: My legacy? Mm. That I caused a stir, that I ruffled feathers. (laughs) Often older women are considered kind of invisible. You know, Mm. as a great big seagull figure, I turned heads.
1: Wow wow that's a good legacy (laughs) I really appreciate you listening to this episode of Cherry Bomb the podcast the companion piece to Sweet Blast which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com today's guest is the artist Donna Dodson you can find her at www.donnadodsonartist.com you can check out the show notes at theartofmattmckee.com for all the links you can reach me for questions or comments on Twitter at McKee Photo and on Instagram at McKee underscore photo. This episode of Cherry Bomb the podcast could not have been done without the help of Suzanne Schultz and CanvasFineArts.com, the specialists in coaching for creatives. And it's been edited by Bill Shamlian at Orb Sound. Thanks for listening. And let's start the conversation.